You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Charlie. I'm one of the pastors here with Missio Day Tempe. We're part of uh, several different congregations that kind of do things together in the city. Uh, there's a Missio in Mesa, and there's one in Phoenix gathering today as well, this Easter Sunday. So the three of us are together are trying to live out what it means to be a family of missionary servants in the story of from creation to restoration, where Jesus is the hero. That's what we're trying to do uh, as God's people in this time and place. I love this time of year. Because really, there's two things that happen this time of year that transport me into the biblical story. This transport me into experiencing God and His kingdom. The first thing is this. We didn't get a lot of rain this spring here in Arizona, or at least here in the valley, which was sad. We maybe had one or two good rains. But if you notice, as maybe you did in my yard, as I did in my yard, a bunch of different weeds begin to sprout up in your yard. And all spring, for about a month, me and my, my four-year-old son, Clark, well, every, maybe every Friday begin to pick some of those weeds out of the ground. We've been in a season of Lent, and Lent is often a season where we, in many ways, pick the weeds of our lives, of our hearts, of the sin that sits within our hearts out of the ground. And, and like weeds, if you let it grow and grow and grow, it's harder and harder to pull out. And so we tend to the weeds in the season of Lent. Every morning, though, another thing that transports me into God and His story is when I go on this morning run around my neighborhood, there's two or three giant orange trees. And if you know what it's like to be near an orange tree in spring, you have that overwhelming fragrance, unless you lost your smell due to COVID. I'm sorry if that's, that's you. But you have this overwhelming sense of fragrance of orange blossoms. Like I can almost smell them within 100 or 200 yards away as I come upon these different trees. Weeds during the season of Lent blossoms on these orange trees which signify that new fruit, new life is coming. So my friends, this morning, we've been tending to the weeds during the last 40 days or so during the season of Lent, but now it's time to smell the blossoms of new creation that's come in Jesus. And that's what we're going to do this morning. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, let me catch you up if you haven't. We've been going through the story of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And we've been talking about the cry, the challengers, and the crossing. And one of the really cool things about the crossing is that kids went with them as well. And so we're going to send the kids right now back with Megan and Matt. If you're an older kid and you'd like to be part of the classroom today that's going on, they'll be doing a story around the Exodus, and you can go with them in the back. The rights are hanging out with them as well. If you have an older kid, ages 4 to 8, you can also sit here with your parents if you'd like to do that. But you're welcome to be released with the rights and Megan in the back, as kids often lead us towards Jesus in the great crossing. So you had the cry, the challengers, and the crossing. In the beginning of the story of Exodus, the cry, God's people cried out to God. God heard their cry. He saw them. He was concerned about them, had compassion on them, and God came down. When the cry goes up, God comes down. But then the second week, after God cried, or the people cried out to God, they had this great challenger, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, and there's different gods of Egypt that were trying to enslave and destroy God's people. This was the second week, this past week. We looked at the different challenges, the gods of both Egypt's culture and our culture that seek to enslave and destroy us. 
But now as we get to this part of the Exodus story that aligns perfectly with Easter, we come to the crossing where God's people are freed from slavery in Egypt and cross on dry land across the Red Sea and experience the first Exodus, waiting for that second Exodus to come, which we celebrate today. Uh, a couple of us this past weekend have been in this thing called the story of God, where we tell different parts of the biblical story from beginning to end. And one of the rules we give you, if you're part of it, is you have to stay in the story. You have to stay in the story, which means that as we're looking through different parts of the story, you can't bring Jesus into the story until he actually shows up. And so if you're in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, you can't say, Oh, well, this reminds me of Jesus because we don't even know who Jesus is if you're staying in the story, as if you've heard it for the very first time. And so somebody, let's say it was Kenny, because he always breaks the rules. Kenny was, keep on talking about Jesus when we were in Genesis. We would say, Kenny, stay in the story, bro. Stay in the story, bro. Well, this morning, as we look at Exodus chapter 12, we're breaking that rule. We're going to break it the whole time because today we celebrate not only the first exodus of God being freeing his people from slavery in Egypt, but the second exodus of God extending his forgiveness and his grace and his redemption to all of creation in Jesus' death and resurrection. And so as we look at Exodus 12 this morning, I want us to have eyes to see both the current, the, the previous context where God freed his people from slavery in Egypt, but the context for today being Resurrection Sunday. So if you have a Bible with you or you have a phone, would you open it to Exodus chapter 12? Genesis, Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 12. We're going to look at a couple different verses here. Let me give you some context of where we're at. In Exodus 12, God has just set, sent out all nine plagues, combating and competing with the gods of Egypt. And he's about to send the 10th plague. And he gives them this story, this ritual, this festival called the Passover. And Exodus 12 is God giving instructions to his people of how to celebrate the Passover. So let's read Exodus 12, 1 through 2. As we read through this passage and a couple passages to follow, I want to give you an insight an illustration and an implication of how God might want to speak to us today as he spoke to the Israelites thousands of years ago. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Lord, Exodus 12, 1, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Let's pause right there. This is to be the first month, the first month of your year. Before the great Exodus story of God freeing his people from slavery, they were on a different calendar. And yet here, with this great event of God freeing his people, he resets our calendars. He resets our calendars to this event that happened in history. I was uh, about 10 years old when I just finished playing a round of golf with my dad. And we'd walked into the country club workout center where my grandpa was there and he was training to run a marathon. And no joke, as he was training to run a marathon, he had this like puddle of sweat around the, the treadmill machine. It was disgusting. But as we walked in this day after a round of golf, everyone was frozen. Nobody was working out. Everyone was just standing there. And they were all staring, this is, this is back in 2001, they were all staring at a 12-inch by 12-inch really fat TV screen. As a 10-year-old, I couldn't really process all that was going on, but I knew something serious had happened. Because as they were watching, it was the beginning moments of when those two planes ran into the World Trade Center. 
It was 9-11. Now, this isn't for everybody because some of you weren't old enough to be there, which makes me feel really, really old. But if you were old enough to remember, turn to somebody around you. Just, just tell them real quick, where were you when 9-11 happened? Where were you when 9-11 happened? Ready, set, go. If you're like, I wasn't even born when 9-11 happened, that is okay, all right? You have somebody around you, maybe they can help you out. But 9-11 happened. It was this event, this moment in time that had ultimate significance for everything that went forward from there. We talk about often that we live in a post-9-11 world, that this moment of great tragedy changed everything. I remember my parents telling about what it was like to fly before 9-11 and how different it changed. And I don't know if you're like me, but even when you go to the airport today, I bet as an American you have this gut level reaction of fear as you go through the security line because of what happened at 9-11. This moment in time in many ways reset our calendars. Now, in the biblical story here, this Exodus story, what God is doing is he's resetting God's people's calendar, not just around a great tragedy, which was the 10th plague and the death of the firstborns in Egypt, not just around a great tragedy, which was the cross that we remembered on Friday, but around the great triumph of Jesus' death and resurrection. That for us, this Easter, would this day be the day that resets our calendars not just remembered once a year, but for all time. That all of life would hinge on this weekend because this is the hinge of all of human history. One of our favorite theologians uh, that's, that's uh, influenced much of Missio is a guy named Leslie Newbegin. And Leslie Newbegin said that every Friday he saw as Good Friday and every Sunday as Easter Sunday. That these events were, in many ways, the shaping events of this entire week. What would it look like for us to creatively imagine our weeks, not around just trying to get to the weekend or something that we anticipate in the future, but it was around the death and resurrection every Friday, every Sunday. Here's what I want you to do as a small practice to start. Pull out your phone from your pocket. Some of you are like, man, I didn't want to participate this morning. I'm talking to my neighbor now. I'm pulling out my phone. This is going to be really good. Don't worry. So I want you to pull out your phone. I want you to scroll ahead to next Friday, April 9th. It's not going to show it there, but I want you to make that a holiday. I want you to make an all-day calendar event in your phone on Friday and make that Good Friday, April 9th. And then I want you to go over to Sunday, April 11th, and I want you, I want you to put that in all caps as an all-day event in your calendar as Easter Sunday. Good Friday, April 9th. Easter Sunday, April 11th. That Easter wouldn't be this thing we celebrate once a year. Remember what Jesus has done, his death and resurrection, but it would be a weekly occurrence of orienting our lives around the death of Christ and the resurrection three days later. Now your calendars are set. You can celebrate Easter next week. Your kids are going to love that once again. Let's continue reading. If you're in Exodus, let's go from Exodus 12, 3 through 11. Exodus 12, 3 through 11. It says this. Exodus 12, verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people that are there, 
You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with that each, which what each person will eat. Verse 5. The animals you choose must be a year old male without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Verse 9, do not eat the meat raw or boiled in the water, but roast it over a fire. With the head, the legs, the internal organs, that sounds really gross. Verse 10, do not leave any of it till the morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked in into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Remember, he's preparing them to leave Egypt in haste. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Let's pause there. The Lord's Passover. I want you to notice here, as we see all throughout God's story from the beginning to end, there's the need for sacrifice, for sacrifice, for atonement of some sorts. If you've been following in the, from the beginning to end, even the very third chapter of the Bible, as Adam and Eve had rebelled against God and sinned against him, and they were being kicked out of the garden, it says that God clothed them with animal skins. That even in the place of the garden, there was an innocent animal sacrificed so that Adam and Eve could be clothed. And from there on, in the story as it follows, there was a sacrificial system put in place as God's people maintained their relationship with God through a series of sacrifices. Once each year and then throughout the year in different forms of gratitude and thanks for God being the provider of all human life. It's a weird ritual for us to think about today, but it was a common practice as they tried to maintain their relationship with God. This past Monday... I was privileged to receive a COVID vaccine. Some of you are really excited and some of you just really judge me right there, okay? Hold your judgment or excitement. But I got a COVID vaccine. I got the Johnson & Johnson one. It's a one and done shot. So you get it one time and then you're done. You don't have to go back. I just didn't realize that the done part meant like you're gonna be out now for the next 24 hours and you can't get out of bed. But that was my experience. I was like, holy moly, I almost feel like I sh maybe should have got COVID before I should have got this vaccine because I am having this horrible reaction. For 24 hours, I couldn't get out of bed. Vaccines are really interesting, right? Because a vaccine is you put a small part of the virus or the mRNA as these cool new ones are, and they mimic the virus in some way, and you expose yourself in a small way so that you won't then have to go to the hospital or experience death. Vaccines, in a sense, are a small form of atonement or sacrifice in some ways that you have to pay so that you might not experience death or hospitalization. Really interesting if you think about it. It's really interesting also in light of this picture of these vaccines being a small dose of, in a sense, preventing you from death and decay, that the sacrificial system functioned in much of the same way. It provided temporary relief for God's people and their relationship with God, but it wasn't permanent. They had to offer sacrifices over and over and over again. So this is why in the Gospels, when Jesus comes on the scene and it says, John the Baptist calls out when he, says Jesus, he sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the story of God that many of us did this weekend, we translate it, Behold the Passover Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. 
that unlike a vaccine that provides temporary relief or health, unlike the sacrificial system all throughout the Old Testament where you had to come over to back and forth, back and forth to maintain your relationship with God, the good news of Easter is that in Christ Jesus, he has offered the once and for all atonement for our sins. There's no need for a Passover lamb anymore because Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. He's broken the pattern. We no longer need maintenance. It's been finished in what Christ has done at the cross and in victory in his resurrection. This is really good news. Now, we live in a culture that believes in atonement. We believe believe in atonement as a culture. We believe that people must pay for what they do wrong, i.e. cancel culture. People must pay for what they do wrong. But as a culture, we are allergic to forgiveness. We believe in atonement. We know that we and someone needs to pay for the sin of the world, for the sin of one another but we're allergic to forgiveness. The good news, my friends, this morning is that in Jesus' death and resurrection, he offers you both atonement for your sin, the sacrifice has been paid, you no longer have to carry your sin and your sickness, and also he offers you forgiveness so you can walk in new life. Both atonement and forgiveness happened at the cross. For many of us who came this morning, If you're like me, you carry different parts of your store in your life that feels like shackles, feels like slavery, feels like a sense of shame or guilt that you carry for what you have done or what's been done to you, the ways you have both sinned and been sinned against. What would it look like this Easter in light of the death and resurrection of the ultimate Passover lamb to walk away today both knowing that your sin has been atoned for and that you've been forgiven and given new life. What would it look like to live each week in light of the death and resurrection as you reset your calendar for this next Friday to be Good Friday and Easter Sunday, to walk in the newness of life, unshackled by the shame that cripples you, by the sickness that haunts you, by the sin that you seem like you just can't break free of, that in the light of Jesus' death and resurrection, you've been offered new life. Would you do this with me? Would you pray with me? Would you just reach out your hands like this in a posture of receiving? I promise I won't do anything magical or weird or crazy with you right now, but just reach out your hands to receive. And I just want to pray that we would receive from Christ the freedom that comes from his atonement and the forgiveness of new life he's offered us. Lord Jesus, this morning, as a hundred of us gather together to remember after one of the most tumultuous of years that you have defeated sin, sickness, and death, and you have been raised to life, having victory over the darkness of our world, would you give us your grace that this week we might walk in the newness of life, both receiving your atonement, the sacrifice you've made so that we might no longer live in our sin, and be identified as a sinner, but now we have your people. In light of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are your saints. We've been given a new identity. We are a new creation. Would you give us the power of your Holy Spirit to live freely this week, that people would leave this morning lighter than they came, 
knowing of what you've done in the cross and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue moving. Part three. If you have in your Bible, if you're still there in Exodus 12, let's read the next two verses, 12 and 13. It says this. On that same night, Exodus verse 12, on that same, 12, 12, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. Remember the, the plagues that came just before this. These were, these were combating the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. What I want you to notice here in this third section is the sobering reality of how both God's judgment and his salvation go hand in hand. Did you, did you hear what happened here or what's about to happen? Egypt is about to lose their firstborns. If you remember early in the story in Exodus 2, what happened was that Pharaoh, saying that he was God and king, tried to genocidally take out Israel's sons to wipe them out. God, in many ways, is getting justice on what had happened before, but it still should stick kind of weird with us to hear this about God. It's sobering. It doesn't make a lot of sense if we think about God's character in some ways. But let me try to explain, I think, what's happening here in this passage. Earlier in the story, in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abram that through your family, Abram, the whole world will be blessed. Abraham became the nation of Israel, that God was going to use this particular people to bless the entire world. So what's happening here is Egypt and Pharaoh threatens to destroy and take out God's people, the Israelites. I'll just pause it as we wait for this plane to fly through. Welcome to Gathering Outside with us the last six months. We have planes and trains. The kids love it. It's so great. But as Egypt and Pharaoh threatened to take out God's people, they weren't just taking out God's people. They were trying to destroy God's promise to bless the entire world. I don't know if you remember this experience, but do you remember a long time ago when we used to fly on planes? Do you remember that when you used to get on planes and go places? It was really cool. I have some family members here, so they're just fresh from this experience. Do you remember what that was like? I haven't been on a plane in, I feel like, so long. I just, I miss, I miss being on them. But when you get onto a plane and you have the protocols, the safety protocols that come first, you never listen to those really, right? Except if you're like me and you follow the rules and you make sure that the attendant is looking right at you and you're nodding your head. Well, they get to that part in the protocols where they say, yeah, you know, in a case of, remember, it's all like, oh, in the case of an emergency, you know, an oxygen mask might fall from the sky from above you and you need to put that on because uh, you're going to be in danger. Do you remember what they say, though, with the oxygen mask when it comes down? They say, hey, before you assist anyone else, Put your own mask on. Why do they say that? Because if you're incapacitated, you can't help anybody else. Now, I always fight with my wife because I would say that, hey, you're, you know what would happen if that was the case? You'd put the mask on our kids first before you put it on yourself. But you've got to put it on yourself first so that then you can help those around you. God in his mercy has put the oxygen mask on Israel, his people, in his story. He's put it on them, particularly 
but not for themselves, so that they might be in service of the nations around them. They might draw to themselves the nations that were around them, so they might experience what God was like. As Egypt and Pharaoh threatened to take out God's people, they were threatening to destroy God's promise. And God would not have that because he cares too much for his world to have Israel destroyed and to call the nations back to himself. So here's my my implication for you with this passage. The Resurrection Sunday, this Sunday we celebrate, isn't just for yourself, it's for the good of others. So who might you this week bless and serve in some particular way as an extension and demonstration of the way that God has loved you? You were set aside not for yourself, but for the sake of others. Who might that person be? Who maybe is far from God in some way? who hasn't experienced God's kindness and love, that you this week, as an extension as God's people, in light of the resurrection, that being given new life, you might then extend that kindness and grace and love to the other, to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your family member, as an extension of the, go- the love and kindness God has shown you. All right, one last section. I'll lead us to the table. Exodus chapter 12. Starting in verse 14, let me read one last section. I'm going to read 14, 15, and 16. Then I'm going to read 24 through 28. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days... Imagine if we celebrated Easter for seven days. That'd be so cool. For seven days, you were to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do Do no work on all these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Now jump down to verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. This is my last insight I want to give you from these verses. God's deliverance, this first exodus, and as we look in the whole scope of the story today, in the second exodus as we celebrate this weekend of his death and resurrection, God's deliverance is remembered through ritual. It's remembered through celebration and feasting. It's remembered through these regular practices that we do every week, every month, every year, to remember what story we belong to from generation to generation. Because if you notice from the passage, it says, hey, tell your children what this festival, this ritual is about. So they might carry on the story forward of God's great redeeming work. Let me share with you this week how I experienced, in many ways, a powerful form of ritual through some just ordinary practices. And let me share with you this week as we talk about Holy Week and then from this, these different stories lead you to the table as a ritual we're going to celebrate here of Jesus' death and resurrection. On Thursday morning of this past week, on Maundy Thursday, we celebrate Jesus' last supper 
and the foot washing that takes place. Thursday morning, I I, uh, hold a coffee hour from 9 to 10 a.m. for some homeless friends that are in our city here in Tempe. And I don't serve them that Folgers stuff because the new creation has come in Jesus. We do Chemex pour-overs in there, all right? Thank you. That is a picture of new creation, those Chemex pour-overs. We try to make the very best coffee for our friends who are experiencing homelessness. Now, this particular Thursday morning, as I'm getting the coffee ready, there's somebody sitting on a computer table over here when all of a sudden he lets out a scream. He lets out a scream because underneath his table, he didn't realize, but the person who came before him had left some excrement on the ground, human excrement on the ground. And he had stepped in it. And now he realizes what he has done, and he steps back, and his eyes were so big, and it was the smell just began to fill the room right next to my Chemex pour-over station. Two competing smells of beautiful coffee and human poop. The most servant-hearted man I I possibly know who works there part-time, who's experiencing homelessness himself, he gets a mop and a bucket and he begins to mop this poop off of the floor. If you want a picture of modern-day foot washing, that is the picture. As our Lord Jesus on Thursday before Easter Sunday got down and began to wash the grimy, yucky feet of his disciples. I watched it before my eyes through just this regular pattern of being there every Thursday morning. Thursday night, we have this meal we put on every first Thursday for IHOP that serves some different homeless friends in the city. And every first Thursday, Clark watches, my son, watches me and my wife prepare the meal, at least a portion of the meal, every month. And as we prepare and anticipate this meal, I'm not exaggerating, this is his favorite part of the month. He remembers how fun it was the month before, and he anticipates how fun it will be when he gets to serve some of his friends this month. It's amazing to watch the power of simple, ordinary practices of ritual to bring you into God's story and to experience the joy and delight of being with him on his mission. And so that Thursday night, we served a meal with some of our friends that experienced homelessness. Clark was handing out the waters with those good friends, Cecily, and some good, really good carrot cake that the Slemons brought. And he got to taste for a moment right there through this regular practice that Jesus welcomes everybody to his table, that nobody is excluded at Jesus' table, that Jesus would have spent time with people that we were spending time with on Thursday night, and he extends that invitation to you too. After that meal, we walk over across the street to the Gonzalez's home. And that night we began working through the story of God from creation to rebellion when God's people went against God to the promise to redemption to the church and then restoration. And 30 of us immersed ourselves in God's story from beginning to end, staying in the story, hearing it like we heard it for the first time, being immersed in the story because there's many other competing stories vying for our attention. We left that night. Friday, many of you fasted as a ritual to remember the suffering and to have solidarity with our King. Friday night, we continued the story leading up to the death of Christ and his crucifixion. And we sang, thanking Jesus for what he did on the cross. And we left in silence like the disciples who had left Jesus who had just died. And then Saturday, many of us tried to embrace what it would be like to be confused 
that the person you've been following who who said he was the king of the world has now tragically died, the greatest injustice known on planet Earth. But then, Sunday morning, today, through these series of remembering and rituals, a group of us got up at 6 a.m., to watch the sunrise, to hear the end of the story from the death of Jesus to his resurrection that we celebrate today. Because the new creation has dawned. And each of the gospel accounts, not just because it was the first day of the week, it was Sunday, but because they were saying the first day of new creation has broken forth. Each of the four gospels says on the first day of the week, 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 Jesus rose from the grave. New creation has come and he's extended the invitation for all, not just Israel, but for all nations to come and experience him. Both the atonement he offers us for our sin, somebody else has paid for it. And he's offered us forgiveness so we can take off the shackles and crippling slavery we experience in day-to-day life. This whole week, through all these series of remembering and rituals, leads us to this table that we celebrate every week, remembering Jesus' death and resurrection. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to recite together, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And then I'm going to invite you to the table for all to come and experience the kindness and grace of God that's been offered to us in Jesus' death and resurrection. So would you stand with me right now? Let me read to you the words that we read every week, and then you're going to repeat with me, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Listen to this. As Jesus sat at the table One of the last meals with his disciple, he said this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God has heard your cry, and he has come in Christ Jesus. God has disarmed the challengers and other gods that fight for your attention and has asked you to give your allegiance to only him. And this morning, as an act of crossing like those first Israelites did as they crossed the Red Sea, would your crossing be to come to this table and receive Jesus' body and his blood, both the forgiveness of sin and the new life he offers you as you leave today. So come to the table in just a moment and let's repeat together this phrase that you'll have on your handout that starts with Christ has died. We'll say it together and then you can come and receive from Chris and Sarah. Let's say it together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and receive from the Lord.